Welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, joined today by Forrest Brazil. Forrest is an enterprise cloud architect, speaker, and community advocate, currently a senior manager at at Cloud Guru, where he spent uh, years designing applications for the cloud uh, at Infor and Tech 10. One of the original AWS serverless heroes, Forrest was also named one of Jefferson Frank's top seven global AWS experts in 2019. His first book, The Read a Cloud, is coming from Wiley in 2020. He co-chairs serverless conference and regularly speaks at workshops and other events in the cloud community. Forrest holds a master's degree in computer science from Georgia Tech and is an AWS certified solutions architect professional. How are you doing today, Forrest? Hey, I'm doing great. It's great to be here, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, you've been someone that I personally looked up to in the community for a long time. Uh, and so I know that this is probably the same for a lot of people that are in the serverless community. Um, uh, I know that your influence on serverless conference and things like that, that always gets a lot of people excited to see uh, just how much influence you have in the community. Uh, how did you start in tech and how did you get started in serverless? Where did this all come from? Uh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, um, like a lot of people who were early in the serverless world, um, I was kind of in the right place at the right time, meaning that, you know, I was inside of a large enterprise. I was working on a traditional kind of um, operations team. You know, some of the early things I was doing were uh, like setting up SQL Server clusters. I was helping out a little bit with storage administration on these big NetApp filers that we had in a uh, data center that was a, you know, privately owned by us. And we were just starting to move a lot of applications to the AWS cloud. And this was around uh, late 2014 or so, which happened to be when AWS Lambda came out. All of a sudden, a lot of us that had our heads into kind of the cloud 1.0 you know, version of AWS a little bit, started looking at some of these tools that were coming out, Lambda, and then of course, API Gateway, which fast followed just a few months later and saying, hey, I could take some of these business rules I've been writing and instead of having to you know, set up a whole server or a whole EC2 instance and, and worry about all of the immediate technical debt that uh, gets associated with that. You know, this is back when we were wrangling uh, EC2 user data and all these other things, right? Um, thinking about, wow, I could just set up a, a simple, you know, Lambda function, put an API gateway in front of it, maybe schedule some backend things with uh, CloudWatch rules, right? I, really, some of the first people I think to use serverless were, were ops people uh, who were thinking about, I just want to get a little scheduled job going that I don't have to think about. You know, it's not running a mission-critical transactional application. It's just something I want to set and forget, and I don't want to have to do a whole bunch of maintenance on it. And that was a really, really key early use case for serverless. Uh, and so, you know, fast forward a couple of years, it becomes clear that serverless is more than just that, right? So we're starting to use it for uh, building apps that have a, a front end on them, you know, so it's like static front ends that are that are hitting pretty full-fledged back ends on things like API Gateway and DynamoDB and some of the other uh, managed services that were starting to come out. And so I did that for quite a while, eventually went over to um, Trek 10, which is a, a consultancy that focuses heavily on, you know, serverless and what we call quote unquote cloud native solutions and built a whole bunch more applications there for uh, different customers ranging from startups all the way up to the to the Fortune 50. Um, and, and what I learned from that ultimately, I think, was that, you know, the real challenge with serverless is, is not so much about the technology. I mean, we're a full six years now or almost six years into the revolution that AWS Lambda started, and there's a a pretty clear class of applications that benefit from this type of architecture. What's much harder, of course, is working with the legacy systems that are out there, the legacy practices, folks who are trained on different stacks. All that doesn't just magically go away overnight. So it can be easy to be idealistic and and look at this technology and say, wow, this solves so many problems. It solves technical problems, but the organizational problems take a lot more time. They take a lot more, honestly, emotional energy to sit down 
on and resolve. Uh, and so that's what I've become much more interested in is, is helping to, to resolve those challenges. And that's one of the main reasons that I came over to a cloud guru at the start of this year, just to, you know, try to get, uh, with organizations and figure out how to help them scale their, their cloud adoption and their cloud native, uh, approaches to things. And, and that's uh, what I'm doing right now. Something I'm very excited about, but I, I still stay tapped into the, the serverless community for sure. I think that it's really interesting to hear that you started off doing like operation stuff, got into uh, AWS during a migration and then saw Lambda and it was just kind of really good timing around that. Um, and then you mentioned something around ops people and transitioning into this. And how, how have you seen that transition for other people in operations as do you feel like there's a really good opportunity for people that are currently doing operations still uh, that could maybe move over to do more serverless? Uh, I, I do. And, you know, I, I think that um, it's really, really hard to look ahead if you're in ops and, and see a future if you don't know how to code. And so I always really, really encourage anybody who's kind of a traditional sysadmin, uh, maybe you're like a, you know, a Windows IT professional um, and you, you're mainly used to administering things in a, a GUI. I really encourage those folks to start picking up some code, start picking up some scripting, uh, because that's going to be the, the talent stack that you need. You're, you're not going to have a value you know, in the in the future, by uh, just kind of being that second level between you know the the help desk and the the folks who do the architecture, right? There's there's a lot of that middle is being cleared out by these managed services, and so many of those jobs are kind of being discri- distributed by the uh, economies of scale to a, a small number of domain specialists that are working for the the cloud providers. So it really is important for us to to level up our skills as as ops folks and move more into some people like to use that you know SRE terminology. I'm, I'm not hung up on what we call that. I think that we. We can easily get into a situation where we are just uh, throwing buzzwords around and we're not describing things that have value. But uh, if, if you're an ops and you're thinking about where am I going to take my career, I would advise you to you know start looking at picking up some code and then start looking at how can I take those cloud building blocks? Yes, those things like Lambda, but also the other managed services that are out there. And some of the tooling that goes with that. Uh, so, you, you know, your CloudFormation or Terraform or whatever the case may be, figure out how to how to do some automation, start bringing some value uh, without having to, you know, work with legacy systems that are that are primarily GUI based. Uh, for the work that you've done with working with big companies and helping them kind of transition to serverless or uh, implement serverless in some way, how have you seen those teams uh, change and develop uh, as serverless has been introduced? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and honestly, I'd like to get your thoughts on this too, Ryan, because I know you're working on this a lot uh, day by day. I, I think one thing that I learned is, you know, uh, you can't just walk into a large enterprise and say, well, you know, we're going serverless. There aren't going to be any servers here anymore. There's a million reasons why that doesn't work. Some of them are uh, technical, right? Some of them are interpersonal. Uh, but what you can do is immediately start establishing some places where serverless can work. And yes, you want to pick off quick wins, you know, but I I, what I sometimes see people doing that is destined for failure is they get so preoccupied with, you know, well, let's let's pull in some serverless technology here on the edges, on the periphery of our um, IT infrastructure, where we feel like this is low-hanging fruit, we can do this, and then that's great, but they never move on from that. And it creates a situation that I refer to as asteroid farming, um, where you have this huge orbit of, you know, peripheral serverless apps that are swirling around your legacy monolith. You're never touching the legacy monolith which is the thing that actually provides value to your business, right? Uh, but you're deluding yourself into thinking that you're cloud native and you're making all this progress because you're so busy. There's so much activity happening. You're just never really getting to the parts of your infrastructure that actually move the needle. 
And so I encourage people to find that that quick win, yes, you know, but then to slowly, uh, as it, well, not slowly, right, but as quickly as you're able to, uh, to start to evangelize that across teams, start to find folks, you know, who see the value you've created and say, well, how can we, you know, take this um, uh, this competency that we've developed, how can we move that to other systems, other parts of our infrastructure uh, that are maybe going to be a little bit more challenging, right? So it's a steadily wading deeper into the water. It's not just kind of dancing around in the shallows and pretending to yourself that you're changing the world. It's a really interesting thing. You can't just like kind of come into an organization and kind of just drop everything from on high. Um, it's been interesting with the, the work that I currently do uh, with Serverless Guru and helping kind of do these uh, migrations and kind of Coming into a company where maybe they know about serverless and there's some buy-in from different leadership people uh, or even uh, people that are evangelizing from the, the ground up, uh, developers that work on the teams that learned about serverless and now they're very excited about it. It's kind of a, it's almost a process, like you said, where you want to get that quick win, you want to have the leadership buy into it, but then you can definitely get into, and I haven't heard that term before, asteroid farming, but I think it's perfect, um, this idea where you've kind of made these changes, it feels like you're doing something, but really... Uh, as you said, you're just keeping busy and you're kind of just, um, it's like you're checking the boxes, but you're not really making the impact and getting the benefit from it. And, and I've seen this happen with clients too, where they they did this big transition for one part of their legacy AWS account, but then everything else around that account is still kind of, uh, you know, EC2 servers and they're not really trying to like spread it across teams and it's very isolated to a couple of people. Um, and And Without that larger buy-in, without the people that are actually uh, going to those other teams, doing trainings and getting people on board to understand like what's actually happening, um, yeah, it, it feels like you can definitely see something where you know you come into a company, you're trying to help them with the serverless migration, uh, but then there's just not enough uh, gas in the tank to get it across the finish line. Um, and so I think a really good point behind that is uh, what I really like with doing infrastructure as code, for instance, is that you can build up these patterns which are reusable. And so if you take that approach first of identifying like what the context is of the client and what they're actually building and what the common use cases are, and then you build those into patterns, which the team is going to understand like the, how to go from point A to point B, then then you can get really into the buy-in part because you can have those meetings. You can show people what it looked like before and what it is now and how it works and how seamless it is and how easy it is to deploy and tear it down and kill it. All problems that you, you know, you probably faced in, in one of these like legacy environments. So. Kind of switching gears a little bit, um, you know, one of the first serverless conferences that I've been to was actually last last year. It feels like a couple of years has passed since then, but um, it was the uh, serverless conference 2019, um, and and you were part of it and you helped uh, co-host it. How did you get involved with uh, with with doing serverless conference at that level? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Serverless Conf is a conference that was started by a Cloud Guru, I think maybe back in 2015 or 2016. I don't have the exact date on that. The, the first year I was involved was 2017, and I had been doing a lot of work um, on Serverless by that point. I was really into Step Functions, which had just come out a few months prior to that. And I ended up submitting a talk to the conference and, and speaking there and got to know a lot of uh, folks at the conference and at a Cloud Guru through there. It was around that time that I started doing you know some, some freelance work for ACG when I started drawing a lot of the cartoons you may have seen floating around and, and doing some other things there. Um, and then through sort of a, I don't know, just a, a gradual process of boiling the frog, I started to get more involved with, with the conference and, you know, helping out with um, assembling the, the speaker lineup and just making sure that we were uh, providing a good cross section of the, the serverless community and giving good space to new voices and things like that. One of the things that I, I love about serverless conf in particular and the serverless community in general is that it is very welcoming. And I think part of that is, you know, um, I mean, you, you yourself, 
yourself were telling me, Ryan, right? You're kind of a serverless native. You know, you you have started your career in the serverless milieu, and it's been a great way for people who are relatively new to technology to step up and start making a big impact because it throws out so many things that might have been considered gatekeeping mechanisms in the past. You, there's so many pieces of the stack where you can just say, okay, this is abstracted to the cloud provider. I'm going to buckle down and focus on adding value. And so what we've seen is is people that have gotten involved uh, that are really really quickly able to make a, a name for themselves and make a huge impact. I'm always excited to see that. Um, I, I'm working on a project right now called the uh, the Cloud Resume Challenge, which is just a way to you know encourage folks in the community to level up their skills on serverless. And a lot of these folks are brand new, not just to serverless, not just to the cloud. They're brand new to technology. I'm working with people who are you know they're coming from HR. I've got a guy who's working 11 hour days right now as a plumber. And he comes home at the end of his long, long days, and he's sitting down and wrangling CloudFormation and API Gateway and DynamoDB, you know, and yeah, that's difficult, right? That's really, really hard to do, but it's accessible because that level of the stack is right there. You can immediately start seeing legitimate impact. So that's something I'm, I've always been passionate about. I, I think ServlessConf was a, a great means to, you know, help to, to carry that passion to the uh, world at large. Who knows what's going to happen with it, right? In these pandemic times, I, there certainly won't be an in-person serverless conf in 2020, but we'll see what happens in the future. And, uh, you know, there's lots of great um, community events happening in the meantime. I, I spoke at a virtual version of serverless days earlier this spring. They're doing another one soon. I think the CFP is open right now. So if you're interested in, you know, uh, getting your voice heard in the serverless community, I definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, you know, personally, my, my background getting into tech and you're right, I was a serverless native kind of was, you know, some people were born into the cloud, I was almost born into serverless. And so that's, that's been really interesting to watch. And the it's kind of been a huge thing that I've, I've harped on for a long time is around the idea of similar to accessibility. Um, and exactly what you're saying with gatekeepers is like, as those barriers, as those barriers have been taken away, it's been much easier to just uh, come in, build stuff, uh, make an impact. And although there are a whole bunch of systems underneath it, those systems are abstracted enough where uh, having a high level understanding about how the cords kind of plug together uh, can make you move really fast. Um, and, and so this is really interesting with the cloud resume side, because not only are you kind of going after uh, to help people that are getting started, but helping people that are moving from a completely different career uh, to this. And so I guess what I would say is like, uh, you said that it was going okay. Um, what have been some things that you've realized while kind of doing this, this program? Yeah, so I, I'm really excited about this cloud resume challenge thing. Uh, we're probably going to run for about 100 days. It started the 23rd of April. We'll likely wrap it up here at the end of July, this this iteration of it. Uh, but basically, the, the initial vision was um, I wanted to help folks you know, get started with their cloud career, especially right now in the pandemic where it's, it's kind of hard to find jobs. And a lot of people are taking a step back and saying, what, what am I doing? You know, I, I probably need to be doing something that allows me to work from home. And I'd love to get into tech. I'd love to get into the cloud. Uh, and so started as a blog post and it was just a simple set of steps. Uh, basically, you know, if you can uh, send me your resume, I'll share it out with my network. You know, a lot of times in, in job hunting, who you know is more important than uh, what you know, right? And I wanted to be that network for as many people as I could, but but there were some uh, stipulations on what kind of a resume I can share. And, and those stipulations basically involve you having to uh, create your resume with HTML and CSS, deploy it as a static app on S3, build a little backend associated with it with uh, API Gateway, Lambda, and DynamoDB. It's got to have some CI 
CI/CD. It's got to have infrastructure as code uh, and some other things like that. You wrap it all together. You write a little blog post about what you did. Now I can make a lot of noise about you. I can share this out with you know my network. I can connect you directly with hiring managers I may be aware of who are looking for uh, junior engineers, right? And so we've we've um, had a lot of response to this. It's been very exciting. Uh, we've had at least two people that I know of that have gotten hired out of the the cloud resume challenge so far. Uh, many more that are that are in the works and are interviewing. Um, and so it's, it's been a great thing. You can go to cloudresumechallenge.dev and you can see the instructions. There's a, a Discord server you can join where there's lots of uh, help flying around and, and job postings and things like that. But it's it's uh, it's totally free. It's just a, a way to try to give back to the community. And it's been amazing, you know, to, to see the response from people. I mean, I, I think at the time I first shared it out, I was seeing some comments from uh, professionals, engineers who are in the community looking at it saying, you know, I mean, nobody who is truly new is going to be able to complete this. Like, realistically, this is too hard. You're asking for too much. I didn't believe that was true. I'm proud to say that's not true. We've had literally dozens of people that have knocked this out, but it's taking them four or five, six weeks, right? You also have to get certified. There's certification prep time in there just to help you build out that resume. Um, and so, you know, the folks that are doing this, right? Not everybody who tries it completes it. You legitimately have to spend some nights at the kitchen table and, and open a lot of Google tabs. Uh, it's designed not to tell you everything you need to know. So you have to go and kind of work through that process of failing with uh, successively more specific error messages until finally you succeed. That's the way real projects work. You know, and so by the time somebody comes out of this challenge, I feel really confident that they have the um, the you know they demonstrated the willingness to learn. They've demonstrated the um, quickness on the uptake to sit down and actually be proficient at a technology like this. And then that enables me to go in and give them some personalized code review in their GitHub. It's all managed in source control, and I can connect them with hiring managers and say, "This is a person that you are going to want on your team because they're going to be able to take these technologies and run with them." Wow, that is fantastic. Yeah, so I guess what I would ask is, uh, you you do a lot of stuff for the community, um, and you're helping out in a lot of these different areas. Is that primarily what you do at a cloud guru in your day to day, or what does that look like? Yeah, so my the the job title that I use for myself, uh, a bit jokingly externally, is cloud bard. Uh, so I, I do spend a lot of time creating things that are that are community facing. Uh, you can find some of those if you you know follow me on Twitter or, or follow ACG. Uh, some of them are cartoons, some of them are uh, blogs, and, and other things like that. Uh, but I also spend a lot of time working with our, our customers internally. Uh, we work with a lot of large enterprises, you know, a lot of smaller companies as well. Of course, I think we have about two. 0.2 million students on our platform at this point. Um, and they need, you know, ways to to scale the what we've learned about how um, organizations spread cloud knowledge. And so I'm, I'm working to help develop kind of models of cloud maturity and other things like that, uh, that we can use to just just help these organizations train their people most effectively and, and get them, uh, as we like to say, cloud fluent, all speaking the same language of cloud. You're helping kind of uh, shepherd in all these people and uh, grow with the cloud guru, spread that knowledge out throughout the uh, the community and with the customers internally. So how often are you actually uh, maybe helping on like an architecture side or coding with the cloud guru? Yeah, so it really depends on the day. Um, I was actually just having some fun the other day, uh, building some stuff out with DynamoDB streams and aggregations, which I really love. Right. Uh, so it it really depends on on uh, what I'm doing on a daily basis. Um, but one thing that I really try to do is uh, make sure that I'm that I'm staying technical because that's the only way to, to keep having conversations with folks uh, at, at a level that's that's interesting. Right. So you know whether it's uh, that's a hands on code level or whether that's a, at a level of trying to solve you know um, organizational problems, right? Uh, architectural problems at the at the org level, that's something that I really do try to keep my hand in as much as I can. You've been involved in the serverless space for uh, quite a while. Um, one of the one of the people that have been here since almost pretty much the beginning. How have you seen things adapt and change? And is it different doing a migration today versus two years ago or three years ago? 
Yeah, you know, talking about it, I guess, first from the community standpoint, I think that in some ways the serverless community hasn't changed and grown as much as I would like. And I, I think some of that is just some people get really boxed in on the on the name and the concept and kind of the ideological purity of what they would want the serverless movement to be. And I, I am not like, uh, you know, subtweeting anyone here. I, I don't have any any particular person in mind. I'm just referring to a general mindset that, I, that I've seen a struggle to break out of at times. And I certainly include myself in this. Um, I, whereas I, I really think what we're we're seeing happen is the mindset behind serverless is winning. And we have seen a huge shift where more and more people are understanding, hey, I, I want to manage less. You know, there's no points for valor in trying to run a bunch of low-level infrastructure that could be handled better and really more cheaply, right? From a TCO standpoint by a cloud provider. Uh, and so that that's the basic message that the, the serverless community was always trying to promote. Um, but I, I think the the name serverless still ruffles a lot of feathers and, you know, rightly so. It's, it's a bad name. Um, and I, I think that we get distracted by that. Uh, so I, I, what I expect to see over the next few years is more adoption, again, of the, the kind of cloud native and, and managed approaches to, to building applications that we're advocating. But you're not going to see that called serverless. You're just going to say, hey, I went to the cloud and this is how I see getting the most value out of the cloud. These services are here. Why wouldn't I use them? Right. So um, whether you know the word serverless kind of just becomes a little bit of a footnote, it uh, doesn't so much matter to me. I, I want to see people getting the most value out of the cloud. Um, and I think we are seeing that. In terms of how migrations have changed to three three, four years ago compared to now. I think that you are starting to see industries and workloads that three or four years ago, you would have said, oh, there's no way that I could put this you know, on cloud native services, or even there's no way I could put this in the cloud at all. You're seeing the barriers to those things being stripped away. And a great example of this was when Lambda Functions got VPC connectivity, I think back last year around reInvent time. You know, And it, I mean, how often does a Lambda function really need VPC connectivity if you're taking the serverless ideological purist approach, right? Where you want to build things using IAM and zero trust and you don't want... Uh, bringing the private network in, uh, you know, maybe not that often, but what it does is it cuts the legs out from underneath an argument that people would throw up over and over again to say, well, you know, I, I can't use serverless because for the next two years, I still have to be able to reach back and connect to my legacy data center. And I've got to do some form of, you know, a, a private network to do that. Now, all of a sudden that argument goes away. And now I open up a whole class of workloads that I can consider putting on Lambda and, and saving some operational time and some money, even if those Lambda functions aren't architected exactly like you or I would consider to be the most best practice. It's still better. And it's a step on the road to you know, owning less, managing less, that doesn't matter for your business. Uh, so, so I am seeing that change, but again, it's a slow process. I mean, keep in mind, we're going to be 20 years out, right? And we're still going to have people who are going to feel serverless is a, is a new thing. Um, or they're going to say, you know, I, I would never do that. So it's not about trying to, to eat the whole elephant, trying to change the world at once. It's just about trying to slowly and carefully meet people where they are, help them take a next step on what my friend Ben Kehoe sometimes calls the, the serverless ladder, right? From pure uh, on-premise uh, hosted deployments where you're managing everything up to serverless at the the top end, but there's a lot of rungs on that ladder in between. Some of them might look like Kubernetes. They might look like some form of you know managed services like an RDS or a managed Elasticsearch service that you're still paying for compute time all the time, but you're not having to incur some of the same management burden that you might have been used to at the VM level before. So. All that to say, uh, I, I sense that we're moving in the right direction. I think more people are getting the message, but it's going to be a long, slow road. And, you know, I suppose that's good news for <laughs> those of us who uh, do consulting. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, really well said. Um, and something that you kind of brought up there was that, uh, you know, you kind of have to meet people where they are. And so 
And that, that's definitely something where, you know, the, the serverless ladder is a really good way to kind of describe that, of that, you know, some people are on-premises and they're trying to move to the cloud. Uh, some people are already on the cloud on EC2 and they maybe just want to, you know, level up to like containers um, and then moving all the way to serverless at some point. Have you seen very many companies that just don't like kind of want to skip the ladder and just go straight from, let's say, Cobalt systems or something all the way to serverless? I mean, it certainly happened. There's an interesting Cobol story from, I think it's um, Mutual of, of Enumclaw, a bank out in Washington State, and they've got some interesting stuff they've they've spoken and published about that. You know, you, you see all sorts of different things. Keep in mind, it, past a, a certain level of organizational size and complexity, it's never the case that you just snap your fingers and everything moves to serverless. It's always about a workload or a team doing something. So at, at the level where you would see someone move directly to serverless, it would probably be a, a smaller company that's making that decision from the top down overnight. So, um, I mean, yeah, you can you can find lots of interesting stories of, of different workloads or teams migrating, but no, I, I couldn't tell you about a, a large company that suddenly decided they were going to go serverless. I don't think that's possible. And that brings up, I think, another interesting point too, though, which is about what do you do with you know heavy legacy systems? Does it always make sense to, to go serverless just because you're seeing all this hype swirling around out there? I was having an interesting conversation yesterday with one of the infrastructure engineers at uh, Basecamp, the, the folks who just launched the email app, Hey, which has been really uh, kind of taking the tech world by storm over the last couple of weeks. And they are running that application on Kubernetes, on EKS. Um, and they feel like they're relatively late to the cloud, relatively late to Kubernetes. Um, and they didn't really consider going serverless, even though you know they're a smaller company and this was a newer product and you might think that they could. They have, even at the size of the company they are, I think they're about 50 people, they have a lot of legacy dependencies or around just what they know. They're a Ruby on Rails shop. Obviously, their founder invented Ruby on Rails. They are a shop that has very specific things they do around deployment and you know branch-based tooling and things like that. Um, and it would have been a really, really big just learning and practice shift for them to try to move to serverless from something that they already have that's that's working well and that they could launch. So, you know, would it have made sense for them to upend everything and try to overcome a whole new class of challenges when they're able to run in a pretty optimized fashion on a tech stack that they know? I'm not going to be the one to say that they that they should do that. You know, I think it would be uh, perhaps it would smack of that ideological warfare that we were mentioning to, to say that they should. But what I see is them making the same calls that we see folks who are serverless native making, which is to say, I don't want to manage things that I feel are below the level of what's important for my team. Like they're not running Kubernetes on EC2, right? They're not running Kubernetes on premise. They're running EKS, a managed Kubernetes. And, and they speak strongly about how they feel that's the right choice for them. It takes away some management things that they don't have to deal with. So, you know, I feel like everybody's playing in the same ballpark here, we're, we're looking toward the same goal, but you've got to make those calls about what's going to be right for you organizationally. And actually, you know, that um, brings up, again, why I came to a cloud guru, right? Because the only way that you are going to get to uh, serverless native or cloud native or whatever term you want to use is if you have that team that's able to work with you uh, and is, is going to meet you where you are and be able to speak in the language of those technologies. And if you don't have a, a training and enablement strategy that can scale with those people, then you're always going to be stuck with little pockets of people trying things, but the vast majority of people kind of uh, staying with with what they know and what they have time to deal with. So uh, make the time for training and enablement. It'll pay dividends down the road. You have serverless, you have other technologies, you have Kubernetes, uh, but ultimately to businesses, it's about like business value and it's about actually providing them with the best solution that's actually going to meet their needs without going too far uh, or, or, or not far enough. Um, and that could be, you know, it could be Wix, you know, like there's there's a whole bunch of different examples where, you know, if you were a startup, one person, uh, you're trying to finish, you're trying to even get your product out there or something. Maybe you shouldn't be building a React.js website. Maybe you shouldn't be doing uh, going down that path. 
because uh, you're just trying to get validation of that stuff. So I think that's it's really interesting to hear that uh, Cloud Guru has a very big focus on kind of going from uh, what they're currently using down to what makes sense for them right now and kind of giving them the training and all the material around that to help support the team. Um, I know personally, from my experience, um, when you come in and you introduce these new technologies, um, there's a lot of nods of heads that you see when the developers are listening. Um, and then once you kind of break out of those training sessions, you know, people are really amped up. But then the next Monday when they come back to work uh, and now they have deadlines, they have to work with all these new technologies. Uh, if you don't have also that, that kind of like follow-up support level as well, it's very easy for them to kind of fall back into old patterns. Um, and so how have you kind of dealt with that when it comes to introducing these technologies? Like, have you had times where you've introduced something and then you leave and then they actually start going back to doing it the way that they did before? And how do you combat that? Yeah. So how do you get a serverless migration to take, if you will? Um, I, I don't like with most of the things that we're saying, there's not one right answer here. And I'm not trying to pretend that there is. Uh, one thing that I have seen work well, or, or one way that I've seen as a kind of a, an indicator, a canary in the coal mine that a, a serverless transformation is, is taking across an organization, um, is when you start to see teams independently choosing to adopt serverless without direct influence from you. So let's say that you're working with one particular team and you're, you're a serverless consultant. So you, you know, if you go into a large org, that's probably what you're doing. You have a technical stakeholder that you're working with, I would assume, you know, and, and you're, you're working with that team to, to build something that shows value and gets attention within the organization. How you know that's taking is not when you have another team that comes to you and says, hey, we're trying to decide, you know, what we should do. Uh, should we use serverless here? I mean, that may happen. But what's more likely to happen is you'll hear six months later from some other team that says, oh yeah, we were building something and we just figured we should use Azure Functions for it because that seemed a lot easier, right? So at that point, you know that the um, the idea of serverless has taken hold in the org. And there's a lot of research out there that shows that once about 10% of people inside of an organization like that uh, get on board with a new idea, then it kind of creates an unstoppable domino effect, you know, if it's an idea that continues to show value. So you want to get that 10% on board, and then you can start to see almost like the, the viral effect of it taking shape inside the org on your behalf. Is that guaranteed to happen? No. And it requires a lot of things, right? It requires what we call executive sponsorship, where you have somebody who's a, a, a stakeholder at a, a higher level who's able to make the call at the beginning that this is the direction we need to go and is able to provide air cover and support for you as you are making those initial plays uh, in the direction of serverless. It involves having that enablement that we talked about, not sequestering all of your serverless knowledge in, in one place or on one team, but making sure that you've got uh, folks able to go out and embed with product teams to help them build. But you want to get to the point where the ideas for going cloud native aren't coming from you, they're coming to you from others who are excited about it. That's when you know that you're winning. That's that's fantastic. Um, and I guess like the uh, we're coming up on time, so I guess one of the last things that uh, I'd like to get your opinion on um, is: Are there any scenarios that you've seen currently uh, where you you talked about you know over the past couple of years, people more use cases have been covered by serverless and or just by cloud native development or moving to cloud in general? Um, are there any things still which you are finding that people are struggling with that in the future, uh, if these are tackled, there's going to be really big. Uh, or more adoption happening with serverless and with the cloud in general or cloud native development. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always things, right? If you're running something super low latency and it needs to be close to your users, physically co-located, you know, a cloud uh, service in general is never going to be the best approach there. Um, if you're running something past a certain, you know, 
transaction volume, uh, you are going to hit cost issues with data transfer to the cloud. You'll, but you know, we're, we're talking about problems that 99% of people aren't going to reach. Um, the bigger problems, the ones that you know your majority of adopters are going to have, are all going to be um, organizational, interpersonal. They're going to be relate to you know legacy stuff and technical debt, and just not being able to um, spare the innovation cycles to convert that over. So, uh, you know, as, as you look ahead a few years, I mean, uh, none of that's going to change, right? Unless you make a change. And that's an org by org thing to go in and have the vision to say, you know what, um, we can continue to fight these same old fires, uh, or, you know, we can do something that's going to drastically uh, reduce our time to market. That's going to drastically improve our ability to, to bring value to our customers. That's what serverless is all about. And uh, we're going to see more and more of that in the years to come. One thing I've heard, uh, I interviewed Sheen Bristles from Lego.com, and you know he kind of talked about a breaking point that happened for Lego.com uh, to kind of get them started on this journey of evaluating these type of options and kind of doing that, you know, where we're at currently, where we want to go into the future. And so how have you seen, have you seen other breaking points that companies have hit? Does it require a breaking point for them to reevaluate their entire tech stack? And at what point do they continue business as usual versus kind of uh, saying, hey, we need this whole new vision to happen? Yeah, I, again, I think that's something that's probably going to be really org specific. You talk about a breaking point where where you know you need to make a change. I mean, if you're waiting for, you know, a, a light bulb to pop on over your head or you're waiting for a shaft of light to come down from the sky and say, "Hey, you know, you need to uh, you need to change the way you do things or you're not going to survive." Well, that's that's never going to happen. Uh, so I, I wouldn't advise looking for that or some kind of a magic marker. What what I would advise doing is taking a hard look at at your stack today, taking a hard look at what you're spending, what I refer to as toil on, right? So work that's, you know, not um it's not customer facing. Uh, it's not, you know, doing anything to deliver features or really even to like clean up or improve what you're doing, but it's just repetitive work that's that's not adding value. Um, think about how can I automate that? Where could I look to move some of that to a cloud service to just free up engineering time? Uh, and, and then it, the more you start doing that, the more you start looking for those options, the more you're going to see, you know, your your innovation cycles open up to be able to do things that are, that are more drastic. Uh, so don't necessarily take your cues from whatever thought leadership influencers that are out there. You know, I, I, it's always good to have a healthy skepticism of kind of, um, organizational independence, like domain models that are handed out to you. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not criticizing agile or lean or anything like that. Right. But these are things that are very externalized out from any one particular organization's needs. And you have to know what your challenges are. So in the context of, of your business and, and of your needs, think about how can cloud help me right now? How can serverless help me right now? Don't do it just to do it. Don't do it because you think it's the right thing to do, or, you know, it'll be resume driven, or it'll, it'll have, give you some kind of street cred or whatever. Do it because oh, here's a specific problem I can solve right now uh, that's going to make my life easier and let me do more of the things that I know we need to be doing. And uh, if you follow that path, just kind of take the next right step one after the other. Then you'll look back two, three, four years down the road and you'll you'll know that you're going in the right direction. Perfect. Well, I think that does it for us. Uh, thanks so much for being a guest on the Talking Serverless Podcast. And to those listening, this has been the Talking Serverless Podcast with Ryan Jones. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out talkingserverless.io or please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And of course, join us next time as we sit down with another fantastic serverless guest.